This is the Inquisitive Minds Podcast. Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Inquisitive Minds Podcast. I'm your host, as usual, Johnny Smith. Um, I hope everyone, whatever you celebrate, and if you don't celebrate, I hope it was just an enjoyable day for you. Uh, I'm very excited about my guest today, though. You've seen her on Impact Wrestling, House of Hardcore. She's a model and actress from films such as Lean On Me and The Replacements, among many others. She's been affectionately called the first black screen queen and is the social media manager for the one and only Tommy Dreamer. Uh, welcome to the program, Monique Dupree. Thank you. I'm glad to be a part of it. How was your holiday? Uh, my holiday was very, very interesting. We have a huge family. So even with COVID, there's a lot of people in the house. And uh, But it was really, really uh, good. It was great, actually. Well, you know, that, that's, that's awesome. And that's a good jump off point because a uh, big family. Uh, when I found out you're a mother of 10, I'm thoroughly impressed because the amount of work you do doesn't seem like it would even leave room for a social life, let alone raising children. Yeah. Uh, you're one of the busiest people I've seen, you know. Oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I mean, busy is good. Uh, it's been harder since COVID. So we have to kind of uh, think outside the box, if you will. Um, but luckily, working for dreamer uh who's also like my best friend uh he made it possible for me to make sure that i'm working as well you know that's wonderful i am a stand-up comic outside of a global pandemic and i had to pivot myself and uh this is where inquisitive minds comes from wow and i know I know you uh you manage a, a podcast the house of hardcore podcast yes i do i do can you tell uh, us a little bit about that one? Yeah, well, it's uh, Tommy Dreamer's brainchild. Uh, he always said he'd never do a podcast. And, you know, everybody said, you know, you tell stories so well, you know, plus he's so funny. He'd be a great host. And so he decided, well, let me try my hand at this podcast thing and, you know, sit with people or sometimes just do interviews or just talk to the fans and tell stories of ECW days or backstage stories and all kinds of crazy stuff that people would never believe actually happened in real life. But I've seen some of this stuff actually occur and I'm like, you would never believe it. But in any event, um, that's how that started. And I was already social media manager for House of Hardcore as well as producer, as well as you name it. I just pretty much was his right-hand person for HOH shows. So I kind of moved that experience over to the podcast. So I just basically promote the podcast, talk about the podcast. Um, it's, it's a, it's been great uh, so far and it's only getting better. So it's, if you love wrestling, it's just a great podcast to listen to, to hear stories. He always does dedications, of course, you know, um, so I, it's a great podcast to listen to. I still listen to it, and I know he's crazy already, but like I like to relive the stories. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm trying my best not to fan out here uh, because growing up, wrestling was a huge part of my life. You know, I loved it. Um, as I got older, I moved out of it a little bit. You know, life changes. 
But right. the new thing is like the looking behind the curtain and actually talking to the person, not just the character. And right. I'm here for all of that. I love all the backstory. I love that people are real humans. It's it's so fascinating to me. And yes. a lot of people in the industry seem to be pretty uh, pretty out there is the way I'll put it. Yeah, well, I used to say when he warned, he warned me when I got into professional wrestling because I've been a fan all my life as well. And I'm 46 years young. So I've been a fan since I'm like 10 years old. So that's decades. By the way, in the most respectful way possible, for 46, you look phenomenal. You've Thank really been you. taking care of yourself. I appreciate that. I think red wine, water, uh, <laughs> and water does the trick for me because red wine is a de-stressor and stress ages you. So I, I feel like the red wine does the opposite because it de-stresses me where I'm like, okay, I'm not even dealing with all of this craziness. I'm just going to back away. Um, but yeah, in any event, I've been a wrestling fan you know, most of my life, basically. And I've been an actress for 32 years. So when I got into wrestling, he was just like, this is none other than any other, you know, industry you've ever entered. And I'm like, I'm an actress. I've been in this. <laughs> but then I entered professional wrestling. And I was like, whoa, you are absolutely right. <laughs> this business is unlike any other business, period. And I've learned so much from him. I've been in, involved in professional wrestling since uh, 2013. Um, okay. And I've been a part of House of Hardcore shows since the first show. I was there for the first show. By the second show, I was a valet. By the third show, I was helping him run things. And then it just got more and more and more involved to where I was his right-hand person. I only say was because we've hit COVID, so we haven't had shows mm -hmm for quite some time and I miss it horribly. Um, and I really feel like being a mom of 10 gave me the experience to be able to help him run the shows because a lot of people don't understand how how haywire it gets backstage, how putting a show together, how involved that is. And he's one of those guys that he does everything himself. He doesn't have like this whole team of, of people. Of course he has crew, you know, put together the ring, the ring crew and everything. But like, it's usually me and him. And mm. then there's- From the ground up, I love just, it. Right, you know, and so I've been involved in House of Hardcore from the ground up, as you say, and I've helped him with shows. I've been where I will, uh, me and my daughter will be at the ticket booth, mm -hmm. taking tickets, scanning tickets, and then I'll run out there and make sure uh, all the wrestlers have what they need, make sure everybody's in line for, you know, who, whatever their spots that they're doing. Then I have to learn my spots. Then I have to go out there to the ring and then I have to come back and then I have to finish doing what I'm doing. Then I have to take pictures, post it to social media. And that's just the beginning. But he does so much more. So it was like he was training me to be a mini Tommy Dreamer, so to speak. And, uh, I was so amazed at how well I was able to do it. And to me, the most rewarding thing is when the show is happening or we're, we're approaching the end of the show, I go, wow, I really helped to put this together. I really helped this man who is, to me, always the heart and soul of ECW put mm -hmm. together I agree with that completely. Shows. 
And I like that's something huge to put on my resume, no matter what, no matter where I go, I have all of this experience. And even though I love being a valet, I, I really mm -hmm. love being a valet coming out um, from the curtain and just hearing people boo me because I'm always the heel. But yeah. for me, there's nothing like putting the show together. Nothing it's a great like feeling to see something you you make from your own hands and and have so much influence in come together. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Don't die. I don't have to. Uh, <laughs> I don't have to sway wrestling fans here, but wrestling gets um, you know somewhat of a, a bad rap from people who don't like it. Uh, but the level of athleticism that you guys have to put into in the ring is unparalleled. What was the first experience you had with that? Uh, well, <laughs> my first time ever in the ring, I didn't have to take a bump. Uh, however, my first time in the ring was with Legends. Um, I got to the second House of Hardcore show. I got to be in the ring with Sandman, Blue Meanie, and mm. Guido. Who can ask for more? Uh, <laughs> uh, I had to learn how to take a bump. Tommy has been the only person to bump me because okay. um, he, you know, wanted to make sure I was safe and whatnot. Because it's not like I had like a ton of, of wrestling experience in terms of training and whatnot. It was for me. It was almost on the job training for everything. So he would bump me. Uh, it's a lot harder than it looks and people just think, oh, I can take that. But if you move the wrong way, if you, I mean, I remember one time I botched a spot uh, and oh, okay. like, you know, I just, I made myself heavy. You you just don't understand the, the technical parts of it. Like I made myself heavy instead of making myself light so that he can pick me up. And he just kept going, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm thinking, oh shit. I'm totally fucking, excuse me. I, I didn't even <laughs> no, know. No, no, speak freely. Like, I'm totally messing up this spot right now. But I learned from my mistake so that that didn't happen again. But um, but it's very, it's really, really hard. And I applaud the men and women who do this all the time. Tommy would work every weekend before COVID, every single weekend without fail. If he had a weekend off, it was a miracle. Um. But with COVID, it's like it went from him working all the time to hardly working. And I would go with him to most of the shows. I would help him run his table. Or if, uh, like, say we went to Wisconsin to a Hornswoggle show, uh, okay. I would be a part of the show or help with the show in some form of fashion. And I'm just so humbled that people gave me the love and respect to be able to entrust in me to do stuff, you know, handle money, which is one of the biggest things, because if you're not trustworthy, you can't handle the money. Um, I would Absolutely. do all of that stuff. And I just, again, I'm so humbled to have been able to be in this business for, um, you know, for as long as I have, again, I'm, I'm 46. So I started really, really late, like, like DDP, you know, um, okay. he started late. Um, in his life uh, for an athlete, especially, but you see, he's only getting better and better with everything that he does yeah. with his yoga and such. Uh, it's just one of those experiences. I hope that uh, next year 
I can go back out there and um, go back to the ring or maybe do some behind the scenes stuff, uh, even if it's not with House of Hardcore, even though I'd feel like I'd feel like I'm cheating. <laughs> so I've always been loyal to House of Hardcore and I've only done other shows when I'm with Tommy and with Tommy's okay. permission. Um, just because I'm exclusive to House of Hardcore. So I would normally go, hey, you know, so I didn't breach a contract or something like that. Hey, is it okay if I do this with you or if I do that with you? But venturing out on my own just seems a little weird. Uh, but if House of Hardcore doesn't come back, I don't really have much of a choice. Now, this episode is about you, but I do have one question about Tommy Dreamer, just because you you were so close with him. Um, a man who's been so brutal on his body uh, for years, you know, it, it takes a toll. And the amount of work you just described for him, I mean, doesn't stop just like you. How does how does someone keep going like that? How does your body not fall apart? Well, I ask him the same question. Um <laughs> His body actually, he says that um, he always tells people in interviews when he's wrestling, he feels no pain because he's Tommy Dreamer or like when he's going to prepare to do a show or whatever. But when he's Tom, when he's just his regular person, he feels everything. So that's, I mean, I don't know how he does it. He'll just go, oh, I think I broke my finger. Like I was with him at uh, one point when... He tore his finger on a nail. I think we were in California. I can't remember where we were. And he was like, uh, yeah, well, you know, I don't know if it'll get infected. I don't know what happened. I'm like, you need to go get a shot. And yeah. and he's like, no, no, I don't go to the hospital. I don't do hospitals. He's never had a surgery or anything like that. And I'm like, no, dude, you need to go. So we ended up going for the first time ever. Like, I was so shocked that he listened. But I think he saw how bad it was. And so we ended up going. And he was like, oh, you know, I'll keep going until my body physically falls apart. I don't know how he does it. Maybe it's kind of like, I say I don't know how he does it. But then, like, I kind of do the same thing on my end of things. And, mm -hmm. you know, he goes, he always tells people, you know, Monique is really, really hardcore. Like, I'll say, oh, I fell down the stairs. Um, One time I fractured my toe and I was like, yeah, I think I fractured my toe. And he was like, are you going to go to the hospital? I was like, eh, nah, it'll heal or it won't. I won't find <laughs> out. Like that, I that's literally, I've learned from the best though. I've learned from the master of breaking his body and going, oh, we'll just see how it heals and take it from there. That's kind of his thing. <laughs> I tell you better, better people than me, stronger people than me. I was at a job one time and I broke my finger in three places and, uh, I did, yeah, I had about an hour left on shift, so I didn't report it. Uh, cause I didn't want to lose my job for right. whatever reason. Um, but it hurt so bad that for that hour I was just holding it, it was throbbing and I was keeping it together. And uh, as soon as I got in the car in the parking lot, I just started crying like a baby from holding it all in. <laughs> I'm not I called that, my mom. I'm not saying that things don't hurt, but like, I'm just so used to, I think I'm used to pain. I mean, I've given birth to 10 children and there yeah. that's a certain level of pain that is unparalleled. But uh, once you learn how to do that, 
<laughs> and just, you know, go through that without, you know, drugs or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Just, I think everything else just kind of falls in line. I think that's why he and I get along so well um, is because we understand one another with that whole thing with the pain threshold. He's a funny, funny, funny man. And especially when he's going through stuff like when he injures himself just for no reason. I mean, I've pulled thumbtacks out of his body and I'm just like, I'm squirming like a girl. I'm like, ew, 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 ew. <laughs> but it's just regular for him. Oh, that's 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 the one thing I can't do. I can't like the throwing my body on thumbtacks and glass and barbed wire. It's just it's not for me. Now, uh, I want to rewind a bit um, just to get a better view of you. You grew up in New Jersey. Yep, Newark, New Jersey. North New Jersey. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Uh, well, that's a whole other conversation. Um, I was raised by my my grandmother and my great grandmother. Um, so it's like I've always been surrounded by these really, really powerful women. I didn't grow up with um, many male influences. It was just a bunch of women kind of running the family. And uh, I've feel like that's how I learned how to be strong. And, and I am super independent. My kids would say sometimes too independent because I don't know how to ask for help when I need mm. it. Uh, but, um, but I grew up uh, being nurtured to do whatever I wanted to do. And I loved acting. I've always, I've loved comedy and I've loved acting. I. I thought at first maybe I would be a comedian who would act on the side or either an actress who did comedy on the side. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was obsessed with like, I love Lucy and the honeymooners. I always loved that four part dynamic uh, between characters where you have mm -hmm. like the, the, the four characters. I think that's probably why I like Seinfeld so much too. I love that, that four part dynamic. Um, I just we actually have a similar similar story because I was actually raised by my mother and my aunt and uh I would I would say they were two strong women and that's where I credit my compassion is uh from them. Yeah, definitely. I, that's women and compassion. I mean, I I had to my great grandmother was like the man or the male figure and my grandmother was like the female mm -hmm. figure. So my great grandmother had the the strength and the discipline and all of that stuff. Uh, my great grandmother also used to watch wrestling in black and white. Mm. Um, I remember her at some point in time. That was the first time I saw Bruno San Martino, but I didn't know it was Bruno San Martino. Um, I I wasn't shout out to a Pittsburgh guy. Exactly. I wasn't that interested at the time. I was like, why is she watching these men with these huge underwear like wrestle? Um, <laughs> she's just like, I really. <laughs> But it was my great grandmother gave me that influence. She instilled uh, we would watch wrestling. We would watch the original Star Trek, which I'm original Trekkie. That's the only Star Trek I like is Captain James T. Kirk. OK. And then the Honeymooners. That was that was my lineup with my great grandmother because I slept in the bed with her. We just didn't have enough room for me to have like my own room or anything like that. So I watched what she watched. Uh, you didn't ask to turn the channel or anything like that. You know, these kids today, they really don't understand true respect. 
but um you just laid there Absolutely. and you watched whatever the adult watched and you liked it or you didn't have to like it but you're gonna shut up about it either way so yeah. but it, <laughs> i feel like it really influenced me uh heavily and then i eventually went to live with my mother for a couple of years and how i really got into wrestling was when i moved with her because she used to make me record wrestling shows on VHS. Now to record on VHS, she want me to eliminate the commercials. So I would have to wait until I thought a commercial was coming and pause the VCR. A lot of kids don't understand the pain of that uh, today. So I, I started out like, you know, taking the commercials out. It was almost like I was an editor early on. And then I started okay. watching it yeah, more I, and more. I, and, more. <laughs> and that's how I, that's really how I became I, involved in wrestling, where I love, where I started to love wrestling. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. People are like beating each other up. You know, there's like a story, it's violence. And I just felt like I was living vicariously through these characters. And then like, I fell in love with different people, like the ultimate warrior. I just loved his energy because I used to have energy like that. And I say used to because it's dwindling fast, <laughs> but I used to love his energy. I like fell in love with different people. The junkyard dog, I love the junkyard dog. Um, just like, just growing up watching all of that stuff. Oh my God, like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I could go on and on. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I grew up uh, watching wrestling in the <clears throat> early nineties when I started. And I used to think, you know, my mom would hate it because she would always complain, blah, 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 about this and that. And then every now and then I would get something from her that would slip out to show she was a fan from back in the day. And I'd say, oh, mom, look at this new guy, blah, blah, blah. And she'd be like, uh, you know who was a real man? Ricky Steamboat. That was a man. I was like, <laughs> Ooh, and, and still to this day, do you see what incredible shape he's in? Like mm -hmm. the man is in it, amazing it's incredible. shape. When I saw I'm, him yeah. and um, Tommy was like, how do you look like that? You know, and he said, you know, I have, an, I have a, a, a diet plan and like he wouldn't eat after a certain hour. And, you know, of course, um, working out. But people don't understand that your diet is first and foremost important. And I learned that losing 80 pounds because I, mm -hmm. I researched. Congratulations on that. And myself and lost 80 pounds. But yeah, I am down 260 from 380. Wow. Congrats. That's Thank awesome. You. So I, I understand that, you know, like I said, uh, wrestling just, it's so nostalgic for me. Cause I remember growing up, there was WCW and WWF and it was like their Coke and Pepsi. Yep. And then you'd, you'd find ECW and it was like a monitor drink, you know, and it was so much more violent and graphic and you're like yeah stuff's yes. happening this is real and you know you think al snow is really crazy and yeah. it was just incredible and that's um, why working first... with these guys today like you know working with uh al snow the fact that i know sandman so well and that he's just like he's just this amazing guy who knows everything like he's a walking encyclopedia and you wouldn't think that for a man that you see is like drinking beer and walking around with a kendo <laughs> stick and, you know, beating yeah. the crap out of people, you know, he would come up to me and talk to me and, and tell me about the facts of a city that we're in, or, you know, he's like, I'll go, I'm going to go to a museum or he's just so cultured. 
and you really so can't refreshing. judge a book by its cover. <laughs> yeah, because I guess I guess it'd be fair to say his character looks like trailer trash, essentially. Yes, yes, I would and, say and, that. And and here he's cultured. That's that's beautiful to hear. He's he's awesome. My kids absolutely love him. That's another thing that I feel like. Um, Tommy gave me that I didn't have because me growing up, like I said, we grew up, you know, we grew up poor. I mean, we had our, we ended up, my grandmother ended up owning her house. Um, but that was back in the day when it took like four people to, to be on a mortgage because you had to pull your money together and all of that stuff. I never got to go to a wrestling show. So everybody that talks about these stories that are huge wrestling fans, I never got to go to a show ever. Uh, I had to concentrate only on my studies. And so I only got to watch when I had to do stuff for my mother or when I got to sneak and watch and that was it. So I didn't get to go to a show until adult adulthood. And even well, when I had the now. opportunity, uh, I know that's what I'm saying. Now I get to go to all the shows, but um, in my, it was only after I had children and I had the opportunity to, to either go to my first show or to let my daughter go. So I let my daughter go because she loves wrestling. Oh. Um, that's the other half of the double Duprees, by the way, my 27 year old. She uh she's she grew up loving wrestling because of her mom. Um, mm -hmm. and I let her go to her first show. And then we started going to house shows together, like uh impact, well, TNA at the time, TNA mm -hmm. shows or um WWE house shows we would go to because they were always a little bit cheaper than the live shows and yeah. uh we started going and then i met don west and with don west through impact everybody knows that mouth don west he could sell anything to you um we befriended him and then he would um bring us to shows to to go to the meet and greets and he's like ah you come to this show you don't have to worry about paying for this that or the other thing oh that's became, nice yeah, he was like, he was amazing. And now he's like, look at you, you're you're in the business before you were just a fan coming to shows. But that was kind of how I, I met everybody. Like I met Chris uh, Abyss and it was just so, it was when, when reality first hit me because I would see Abyss wrestle, right? And then I met mm -hmm. him for the first time backstage and he was just this teddy bear. And I was like, what is happening in my life? You're supposed to be this mean, evil guy with this mask. And then all of a sudden, you're this sweetheart. <laughs> but it's the same thing in horror. You expect these guys that that play these characters, including my brother, to be like these this mean, evil person. Um, and then they're just Huh? And for those who don't know, your brother is who? Oh, Tony Todd, uh, Candyman. So, yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay. You know, that's how I felt when I found out years ago that The Undertaker, Mark Calloway, uh, was a realist investor. I was like, oh, who wants to buy a house from The Undertaker? Like, that blew my mind. <laughs> but your first, your first acting role uh, or movie was uh, at when you were 14 on yes. uh, Lean On Me. Yes. Now, and uh, from from what I've read, it said after that you fell in love with acting. You caught the bug. I did. Um, I begged my grandmother to allow me to be a part of that movie because they did it in Patterson, New Jersey, and I'm from North New Jersey. So we saw the casting notice, and I was like, "Oh, Grandma, please let me, you know, 
go do this or that or the other thing because I wasn't raised with my brother. We weren't raised together, but um, mm-hmm. I, I would always perform for my family every holiday. And so I was like, this is my opportunity to show people other than people in my house that, you know, I have talent. And I'm like, please let me go because I needed parents' permission. Um, And she finally said, "Okay, you can go uh, audition. And I did. And, you know, I got in. And even though it was an extra featured extra role, um, I've always had that that extra love where I'm curious. So I want to know everything. So I got Mm -hmm. to meet a lot of the cast. Um, Lynn Thickpen, who I love so much, rest in peace to her. Um, She was somebody that I really admired as an actress. And um, she was the one with the bullhorn and everything and uh, Mm -hmm. and lean on me. Uh, Robert Guillaume, I got to meet, I got to meet so many people um, on that set. And I was just like, this is amazing. And people were tired and they were ready to go. And I just kept going because I had to work 12 hours a day. Uh, We worked from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. because we had to do the scene when we're coming down the street, the free Mr. Clark thing. Mm -hmm. We had to do that as the sun was coming up. Um, So we would film Mm. from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And then I was like in a couple of other scenes, like with the girl that found out she was pregnant um, that was where my feature extra role came in. But like, I was all over the place in that movie. And I was just like, I love this. This is what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I just, I just wanted to do it. But then when I got pregnant, I was told you would never be able to continue being an actress, an actress and, you know, have a child mm-hmm. and, I continue to do it anyway. I even worked pregnant so many times because I've been pregnant so many times. (laughs) (laughs) When I did the episode of Law and Order, which aired on my birthday, December the 10th, it was the only episode. Oh, happy belated birthday. Yes. Thank you. Um, I was pregnant when I did that show um, and I hid it because I was Mm. afraid that if, they knew I was pregnant that they wouldn't hire me or that they would make me go home or whatever. So only once we had like a lot of stuff filmed where I knew that my face was seen and, and, you know, connected with people, did I unveil that I was actually pregnant. Um, But I got to play two characters in that episode because they needed somebody else to play a truck stop prostitute, which I used to carry. (laughs) I know it's crazy, right? I used to carry, when I would come to these jobs, I would carry a suitcase with different wigs, different contact lenses, different uh, outfits other than what they asked for, just in case there was an opportunity for me to do something else, I would be prepared. So uh, I happened to have clothes where I was able to just change like my hair and my clothing to be a different person, which they don't generally do, but they needed somebody to play that that extra character. So um, I got to do it and I was just so excited. That's really on brand for you. Uh, You're, you're like a chameleon on your social media. You have so many different looks, um, constantly different hairstyles, colors. It's rather fascinating. Now I looked on your IMBD uh, to look at your credits and my, oh my, 
is it too many just to list down? Like it's a ridiculous line of credit. So I want to take this opportunity because I have a lot of friends that are either uh, trying to become actors or very early on in the process. With you being as, as successful as you have been, what advice would you give to a budding actor or actress? Um, well, for one thing, you're going to get a lot of no's before you get a yes. Um, study, study your craft. If this is something that you really want to do, um, study your favorite actors, um, read up, do whatever you can to absorb, uh, what it is, because this is one of the hardest, um, jobs to do. It really truly is. I just kind of found my niche with uh, horror and kind of honed in on that for a little while, even though I've branched out a little bit. But um, you have to have the passion. You have to have a thick skin because God knows I've been told so many different things. Um, and it would be enough to make an average person just quit and go, screw this. I'm not doing this anymore. But you have to have a thick skin when you're when you're in this business. Um, I feel like a lot of people are in such a hurry that they forget to work on their talent. You can always grow. Try mm. to take something from each and every set. When you're on set, learn everything you can learn about everything on set. When I, when I'm on set, I want to know, you know, what the ADs are doing. I want to, you know, I want to see what the producers are doing. I want to, I talk to the wardrobe people. I communicate with everybody. I want to see how all of these moving parts are coming together to create this masterpiece. That is whatever project it is that we're doing. And I'm not afraid to take like low budget. I do. I've done a lot, a lot of low budget uh, movies and a lot of people go, well, I don't want to do that. Like they want to skip past all of that to, to get to like, I want to be famous. Mm -hmm. Work on each set and appreciate each set that you get to be a part of. To me, it's no such thing as, um, you know, a, like a small role. Your role is just as important as anybody else's. I used to say when I started doing this, I did a lot of extra work. That's how I worked my way up. And I said, can you imagine if we lived in a world where there were no extras in the movie, there was just all the principal actors, it would no longer be a movie. You know, we all yeah. play a part to make the film successful, just like they need the extras um in order to put together this whole film you're needed just as much as the the principal actors are needed so always remember that remember that you never know when the camera is looking at you you know when you're on you're on it doesn't matter whether you're an extra none of that matters when you get on set and you're an actor you're an actor i don't care what role you have i don't care if you never say anything be that actor each and every time somebody will notice at some point in time it did for me that's great advice. Um, phenomenal. Now, uh, when did you uh, take the transition from just general acting into like the more horror themed genre? Well, I always wanted to do it because, you know, I mean, like Candyman. <laughs> like, I wanna, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm going to be the bad guy. And 
I've been kind of typecast and I think some people think that that's like a death for an actor. And for me, not so much. Um, I mean, even when I made the transition into wrestling, I'm always the heel. Like I'm like in movies, I'm almost always the bad guy when I have a principal role. I have never played a hero, somebody who just saves the day. Um, but I tell you what, in real life, you're my hero. Thank you. I think I definitely, um, well, I made the transition before this, but I love makeup effects. And Mm -hmm. for, for a long time, I was being cast in movies because I was the one willing to sit in a chair and be made over for hours on end without complaining. Uh, case in point, mm-hmm. the low budget movie that I did called Bachelor Party in the Bungalow of the Dam. That is a whole, whole title. Um, but I played, <laughs> I played a vampire posing as a prostitute, which is just weird because normally it's the other way around. So that's great. I had to be in makeup effects. Um, I sat in that chair for 10 hours. Oh, 10 my. hours straight. Um, and had prosthetics from my breast all the way up. And I had teeth on my boobs and, you know, four teeth here. And it just took forever for them to create this character. Once they created the character, which took 10 hours, we had to shoot everything in that one day because there was no way that they were going to be able to recreate that again. And they didn't want to put me Mm. back in the chair so we had to shoot out all of those scenes first where I was the monster. I I couldn't eat. Like when we went to break, I had to have anything I wanted blended. And then they would stick the straw up my nose and down into my mouth so that I can oh. drink. It was like the little, yeah, it was so crazy. And, um, and I loved it. I loved every okay. moment of it. And I said, I just want to be made over to be like, I don't like to play pretty in a movie. I want to be like, you know, ugly, disfigured, you know, like I want to, I want to become something else. I love that. That's one of my favorite things about when I do horror is being able to transform. That's why when I did my first short, which Tommy Dreamer starred in, uh, called Shadow Hunters Devil Speak, which is available on Amazon Prime. Um, mm-hmm. I said I didn't want to. I didn't want to act a lot in the short because I was directing it and producing it and doing all of this stuff. But um, I wanted to be in makeup prosthetics, so they did something you know weird with my face where I you know I played the snake demon or the sister of a snake demon. I was still a demon. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it was really it was really awesome. That's why I requested to be in makeup. I love being transformed. And it's 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 something about that that puts me into the mind state of like really, really bad guy or it helps me to become that character better. Um, so okay. I love I just I love horror. I think it's um it's a it's a lost art to me. I mean, you know, there's horror movies all the time, but you know, for an actor to really uh an actress especially to really like be 
into what she's doing. And I feel like Scream Queens get a really bad rap um, as actresses that don't really act. And that's far from true. Um, even though I don't just pigeonhole myself as a Scream Queen because I can do almost anything. Um, but I love being a Scream Queen. I proudly wear well that title. 2006 i believe it was you were named scream queen of the year i was um i was one of the they did the top playboy did the top 50 sexiest scream queens of all time and i was oh. in it and i could oh congratulations <laughs> thank you i was floored i said playboy noticed me that's it all right, guys. All right. <laughs> I, mean, I was now, number did they, 20. Did they tell you about it no. previously? Like before the article was released? No, they did not. Um, uh, People started tagging me going, did you know that you're in uh, Playboy's Sexiest Scream Queens? And I was like, what? I'm in what? Because one of the things I always say is that um, I don't really get acknowledged that much as a Scream Queen because... Uh, one of the things is that I'm kind of a Jill of all trades. So I do a little bit of everything. So I don't ever really get put in a category or like um, appreciated, so to speak, for a category. It's just, I do so much. So it was such a shock to me that I was named, just named in it because there's so many Scream Queens, but to be named in this 50 you know, the top sexiest screen queens of all time. It wasn't of that year. It was of all time. And I was just like, yeah. holy crap. This is, for me, it was an honor. Um, that, that's I just, awesome. That's awesome. It, I hear. just loved it. So I still sometimes promote that to remind myself because I don't always, I mean, I try to motivate other people. And especially when I feel down, I try to motivate others because I feel like sometimes when you uplift others, it also helps you to uplift yourself. And I don't, I don't like, I like to see people happy. I like to see mm -hmm. people smile. I like for people to see the light in themselves because I've had such a hard time and I've struggled so much in my life because of my experiences, the things that I've gone through um, that I never want anybody to feel like I felt. So I try to motivate um, as much as I possibly can. But I mean, you know, I have my down moments as well. We all do. But I will say you are super positive on social media. Um, and you're one of those people that I've said this before. It's like, yeah, you're, you're being positive. You're putting positive messages out there, but you're also uh, living and, and like showing your message through your life. Like, look, guys, right. you don't got to give up. People are not going to like you all the time. Keep smiling. Keep going. I love it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I I feel like I think Tommy thinks that I tell too much of myself, but I don't. I really actually don't. I feel like a lot of people think and I never see myself as a celebrity. I have a blue check. OK, so it doesn't make me any different from anybody else. But I feel like people see people like me and go you must have it easy. You must have it good. Not knowing the struggles that I'm going through. I'm like, even if I was making good money, I have 10 children. 
I have no money. Mm -hmm. I have nothing. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I, I'm really struggling just like the next freaking person. And then when I went through the period of time where I couldn't work for six months and I had to have surgery and my whole family, um, Tommy included, was there for my surgery. It was the only surgery I've ever had where I had to get a hysterectomy because I had a tumor mm -hmm. in my stomach. Um, I almost lost my house and I'm still fighting to keep my house. But I try not to let it get me down where I'm just like stressed all the time and like, you know, I'm going to lose my house. I just try to look at the positives. That's why, again, I try to be um, positive or let people know even when I'm going through things that I try to see the brighter side of things because it doesn't really help you to just be stressed and to worry all the time. It's not going to fix the situation. And it also kind of clouds your mind from you trying to see uh, an out, an end game to put together something. If you're, if you're super stressed and you're, you're clouding your head. So why not just clear your head, go, you know, this too shall pass. Let me figure out a way that I can overcome this so that you can think you know, with a clearer head. Anybody that knows me personally, um, listening to this would know that I have not agreed with a guest's sentiments more than that statement you just made. I completely okay. agree with that. Um, it's, it's going to get better if you work at it, you know, right. essentially like we all struggles. Keep, exactly. We got to keep going. Exactly. I seen a post and today that said, uh, life's hard. We all struggle. Nobody cares. Keep fucking grinding. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to, you really have to. And then I look at like my children and I, I have, again, I have so many, but they all have all of these <laughs> different goals in life. And like, just to, like I said, I, I put my daughter's work here and that's not even, that's just something that she, my other daughter said, I want you to draw an anime character for me. And she had never really drawn like a full on anime character. Mm -hmm. So she tried her hand at that, but like some of her work and I started promoting my kids because I'm like, I have gymnasts. My eight year old has been in gymnastics since she was like uh, 10 months old. But since COVID, she couldn't go to a gym class. So I eliminated my living room, bought gymnastics equipment mm. and made the living room a place just for, for her to practice and my workout equipment. So I have no living room anymore well that's great i like um, it uh you adapt know, you have to you have to you have to try to uh support your children in any way possible i gave up i basically took bill money like when COVID first hit and i we went and got everything or whatever i said well you know i don't think they're gonna turn off the lights anytime soon because you know nobody can work or this that or the other so i literally eliminated threw away the the couch it was kind of lagging anyway and just bought mats and bought the the bar and bought the parallel bar and I already had my gym equipment so I pulled it out into the living room instead of having it in the sunroom and it's just one big room of where you can go in and work out there's weights there's a mirror there's all of that stuff and it's not that, you know, it's not the greatest because we have a, a humble house, but guess what? She can practice every day. So that's that she what's can important. Continue to get 
so she can continue to get good. And when company comes, I'm like, well, we just have to sit on these folding chairs that I bought because we have no living room. And you yeah, just have you know to what? deal with that. If your company's over there for the furniture instead of the actual company, they're not the right company anyways. Exactly. But, and usually, I mean, people come here because, well, we're crazy. Um, <laughs> I, if you've ever seen any of my clips of our family gatherings, it is just crazy. And I am, I'm a little out there and I will readily admit that, um, Tommy came to my daughter's sweet 16, um, surprise party. And he was just like, whoa, this is like kind of <laughs> one of the, you know, crazy experiences because like we were just all over the place and I had an open bar and I was like, I know she, she just turned 16, but there were adults there. So I was like, we need an open bar. They have a cascading mm -hmm. chocolate fountain. We need an open bar. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. we had an open bar. Everybody got drunk. The kids were running around, hopped up off of chocolate and candy and cakes. And then um, because we had it at a place where they do weddings uh, called Martin's mm -hmm. West. So it was like a, this really big thing. And she wore a ball gown and everything because they're homeschooled. So I wanted her to feel like she was going to prom, which is why I did all okay. of that. I did the red carpet. I did the Karma Sweet 16 backdrop. We did the whole thing. She came in a Hummer limo. Like it was just a whole, whole shebang. Um, that sounds so awesome. At the, at the end of the night, like you should have saw his face because at the end of the night, they said, you can't take these cakes with you. And I said, what do you mean? I paid thousands of dollars. And they said, I'm sorry, but you have to eat them here. I said, oh, do we? So I picked up a whole cake and threw it in somebody's face. And then we had a huge cake fight, running around throwing cake on each other. And I was like, all right, we used up all the cake. I feel better about life. <laughs> we can go now. That's a great and story. You oh, wow. are so crazy, woman. But that's like how I think. I could have gotten upset. I did for one second. I'm not going to lie. I could have gotten upset and ruined my whole night of greatness because they didn't allow me to take these cakes that I paid all these thousands of dollars for. There was like eight cakes left. So I just decided to start a cake fight because I knew that my family would follow suit. He was ducking and dodging, <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying not to get hit by any of the no, cakes. You, it was awesome. That's great. You're, you're also a model. Yes. Um, I was looking and it said you worked with, and I, I'm hoping I pronounce this right, trauma uh, yes. entertainment. You were a traumette, the yes. first uh, African-American traumette? Yes. Um, I I was a traumette for four times. I said that I wanted to create a wrestling belt and do my fifth shoot, uh, a, a trauma wrestling belt, and be a five-time traumette and have my belt on. Like, you know, this is my belt. This is my accomplishment. Um, Lloyd Kaufman. You got to get Booker Trauma. I got to get who? Booker T, the five time, oh, five yeah, time. Yes. Five. Exactly. Five <laughs> time. I, I'm going to do that at some point in time, uh, create a belt. Um, I asked Lloyd about it already, which Lloyd is uh, the president of Trauma Films. He's the person mm. that is responsible for my start in, in horror films because um, 
I was in a Scream Queen contest for Fangoria Radio when Debbie Roshan and Dee Snyder did Fangoria Radio. Um, that's kind of how far back I go. And although I lost the contest, Lloyd and Debbie were very interested in um, having me further my career. So Lloyd got in touch with me and Debbie said, oh, you have a career in this business for sure. And the next thing I know, I was doing uh, photo shoots and film intros for Lloyd. So I did an intro to Pot Zombies, which people think that I'm actually in the movie, but I only did the intro to Pot Zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, because if anybody knows anything about trauma films, he normally has intros to his movies or the movies that he produces or um, directs or whichever. So I've had a career with trauma films, which in and of itself has its own huge, huge following because they've been in operation for as long as I've been alive. Um, okay. You know, they have a long history. So I recently did a film uh, called Shakespeare Shitstorm, uh, which I was <laughs> one of the, I I, yes, I was one of the supporting characters. It was based off of The Tempest. So I had to okay. learn how to, like my brother was born and raised in a theater, meaning he just loved the theater. He took to the theater, that's his first love. That is not my first love. However, I had to learn how to speak Shakespearean, so to speak. Um, And the character that I had to play was initially for a black man, Um, Caliban. Mm -hmm. In The Tempest, if you look up The Tempest and you look up Caliban, it's a black man. But uh, Lloyd had me in mind for the part. And he said, I really feel like you can, as a woman, you can pull off the strength that it requires to do this character. And I had to learn fight choreography, which kind of went in tune with wrestling. So it just all kind of worked hand in hand. And um, it was it was an amazing experience. And it kind of breathed life back into my career again and showed people that um, I can be a lead a lead character mm-hmm. that I don't have to just do like, um, you know, these little spots, these little featured spots where I just have like this small role, guest starring role or something to that effect that I can um, carry a film with other characters. So Lloyd really, trauma is responsible for so much for me and Debbie Roshan. And uh, for those two people, I thank uh, immensely because I don't think that I would be here with as many credits as I've accumulated, which maybe 20 of them aren't even on IMDb yet. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but some people, well, when you do low budget movies, sometimes it takes them like five years to get things off the ground. And before you know it, Mm -hmm. you know, like one of the lead roles that I did called Aurea, that hasn't even come out yet. And that was like my first lead role in 2006. He's turning it into a a YouTube series. and I played the original Snake Demon where I had no dialogue. I had to act with only my eyes and my body language. So I had to study snakes, study movements, and like learn how to just kind of talk with my body, which I thought was going to be easy. It was one of the hardest things to do ever. I would rather have lines. Now, let me ask you a question. As an actress, uh, with a movie like Shakespeare Shitstorm, where the script is based off of a Shakespeare work. Do you go back and read the source material to get a better understanding of the adaptation? Well, 
what I did, I yes and no. I did go back and I read, but I did mostly what I did was went on YouTube and looked at um look researched Caliban, researched how Caliban talked and how he moved and what he how he spoke um and took it from there. I also had a lot of dialogue. I think that was the most dialogue heavy film I've ever done before. So I had to find a different way of learning. So what I did, cause I have an apartment too. I'm at home right now in Baltimore, but I have an apartment in New York. So what I did is I had these big um, cue cards and I wrote my lines on different ones and I pasted them all over the apartment. And mm. every time I went to a certain place, I would have to say that, that part. And um, till I got it to memory. That was how I trained myself to learn so much dialogue because there was just, there was a lot. Um, and I, I doubted myself as to whether I was ready for something like that. But trauma gave me that opportunity and Lloyd believed in me that I could, that I could do it. And I, I did it. And the film, everybody said, I love your, you know, your character. I love, you know, who you are because it's still like slapstickish as well. So mm -hmm. I couldn't take it seri as seriously as like Caliban in Tempest. It was still funny and silly. It's Shakespeare shitstorm. I mean, there's like whale shit and stuff like that in the movie. <laughs> so it was it was just really, really crazy. I think they went to Albania to shoot some of their scenes. Um, and I didn't get to go do that. Tommy was supposed to be a lead character in that movie as well. And he went to some of the rehearsals mm -hmm. with me. However, his schedule, this was pre-COVID. So his schedule didn't fit mm. with um, the grueling schedule that we had doing shooting the film. So he was unable to play the lead role like he was supposed to. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that you didn't know uh, if you were prepared for this or if you could do it, but other people believed in you. I subscribe to the idea that uh, you just got... I feel like I've never been prepared fully for anything I've ever done. So you just got to get in and go and learn from there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was, I don't think I was ever prepared to have a huge family, mm -hmm. but I had the babies and <laughs> it, it was, it was just time, but um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like I've raised children other than my own and I just, I, I subscribe to what you say. Um, definitely. You just, you're never really ready for anything. I feel like when I, when I first, you know, walked out of that curtain in wrestling, being a valet that I was like, oh my God, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready. And then as soon as I came on the other side of the curtain, all of that was gone. I'm not going to say that okay? I, I didn't have any nerves still, but like it just, it just, I transformed and I came out and went after that first time I said, Whoa, what a rush. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It um, was, I, know, I actually did say that. Um, <laughs> I, I really did. It was, it was amazing. And I was like, Oh my God, I found another love. How, can you find so many things that you want to do in one lifetime? But I only have this one lifetime, right? So do everything that makes you feel good to do. So I just continued. Yeah, you're I was definitely like, taking I love advantage this. of it. 
Yeah. Um, and of course, with having Tommy running his own company, um, I definitely, you know, I said, he said, how did you feel? How do you like it? I was like, I want more. And, um, you know, then he put me out there more, but then he saw a use for me, you know, behind the scenes as well. And then it just became this marriage of, well, you know, I come in and I do whatever is needed. Uh, I especially loved working at the old ECW arena um, in Philly. That was my favorite place to work. It was like, it was like a singer um, that goes to Apollo just to to feel all the feels on stage. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, I would go there and I'm like, even though, you know, it's redone and all of that stuff, I would go there and I was like, wow, I cannot believe that I get to perform in such history and not only perform, but uh, play a managerial role, if you will, as well, where I'm just like running around. All the guests that used to, the regulars that used to come that see me would always see me running back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it got to the point that when they saw me calm down or by the bar, they were like, do you want a drink? And I was like, I have to wait until, you know, we're like on the, the, the last, the last minutes or whatever, where I could just like kind of take a moment and have a drink and I'd be so tattered and torn, but I would be so proud at the same time. So like almost at the end, every time I was there, one of the fans would buy me a drink and then we'd start talking. And it was like, you're so nice. You know, it's like, well, you know, you guys are the reason why we're here. If it weren't for you, we wouldn't have a show. So mm. why wouldn't we be nice? You're supposed to be. You're supposed to respect those. You're you're the reason why we're here. You're the reason why I have a job. So I thank you for that. You shouldn't be thanking me. I should be thanking you. Um, and it just became like a family. And it's got to be a great that. feeling because all those cheers from the entire show. You know, every time there's a bump or or a boo, all of it is is partially because of you because of the background work you put in during that show. So I'm sure that's got to feel great just to hear even when the show's over and they all loved it. You know, any fan reactions got to feel amazing. Yes, it does. It, it definitely feels great. Um, the crew always works so hard. Like everybody, everybody that's a part of Tommy's shows, like we all work together as one big family to make things happen. If you don't work together, you don't make it happen. But um, I just love that he's had all the faith and confidence in me to be able to pull off running these shows. And from behind the scenes, I would be the person when the tickets go on sale, I'm the person that did the website and did all the ticketing to put them on sale. Mm -hmm. And then mm. other than... Uh, in Philly because they had their own crew. But when we were at other places like Wisconsin and, and other places, then I have to go in the ticket booth. So I've, I set up okay. the tickets to sell. Then I'm in the ticket booth, scanning tickets, taking tickets, dealing with people. And then I'm running around like that. That took a level of um, trust on his part mm -hmm. for me to have, all the jobs that he has. I remember one time um, I ran up to him and I didn't understand at the time why he did what he did. I ran up to him and I said, um, Dreamer, this, that, or the other just happened and I don't know what to do. And he was like, you'll figure it out and walked away. Oh, oh wow. And I said, 
did this motherfucker just this is his show this is not my show but I realized that he was teaching me to think on my feet mm-hmm. instead of running to him for every single thing obviously there's things that I'd have to go to him but that was teaching me a level of trusting in myself to make a decision to be in that decision making because I used to say these are your shows and he's like no these are our shows um when he did the Twitch every Wednesday, he would call me the heart and soul of House of Hardcore. And I took that seriously, always. And I always will. Um, and I I owe that man. I mean, I love that man. He knows that. And I just, I'm very, very grateful for what he's giving me in a business that I grew up loving. And I got to see the other end of it. I get to because it's not over yet. It's for me, it's just yeah. the beginning because I'm going to infuse myself into something at some point in 2021. Uh, 2020 took us all by surprise. And yes, now that did. we know what we're dealing with and, and we're trying to get over that hump, you know, I have plans for 2021, uh, especially with um, now that I have a handle on acting because I've filmed a lot of remote things that he mm-hmm. helped me film, as a matter of fact, um, where I just filmed my own stuff and submitted it to the the different movies. So I got to direct stuff, direct my own scenes and such, uh, which is really cool. I've done more movies during COVID than I had done before there was COVID uh, during oh, wow. the, the beginning part of the year, which is crazy, right? Yeah, that's wild. It is. Um, but as far would, as, you know. yeah, yeah, you know, adapt. And I love it. I love to see growth. Yes. I love to see people just hustle. I love it. Every part about it. Um, as far as the modeling, and I feel like I should have known this, but I didn't realize you were uh, used uh, to model for comic book characters. Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, Dennis Willman is my uh, go-to artist. Um, he has a, uh, Cat of Nine Tales was a, a creation um, that myself and Anthony Thomas uh, put together. Uh, he's the writer for it. it. He's the father of all 10 of my babies. Um, and, okay. uh, and it was the brainchild of the three of us. Uh, well, we call him Saint, not Anthony, but Saint, Dennis, and myself. And I would take a bunch of reference photos. Like I would literally have to take hundreds of photos of me to develop the character because it's a comic book character. Mm -hmm. I took it seriously. So I had to do pictures of me in character drinking coffee, you know, looking angry, looking surprised, looking, you know, happy. And he took those reference photos and he's been drawing me for so many years now that he can draw me without any reference photos really but sometimes he'll just ask me to put on an outfit and take a picture so that he can draw from it but he's used my likeness in so many other comic books that he has coming out uh next year so uh watch for that i'll be sharing it on all my social media like i always do i mostly share it to facebook but i'm gonna start sharing it to to instagram as well um now that's what helped i'm sorry no, no. It's, I was just going to say that's been one of my favorite things to do because I didn't know how involved modeling for a comic book character was. But it's another thing that um, I've 
I've loved doing and that, you know, I get some monochrome of control doing so I can control the character and the look and all of that stuff. And for somebody to entrust in me to be able to do that means a lot. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Is that, uh, any, in any way at all, what, uh, influenced you to become a professional cosplayer? I've always loved cosplay since before it was actually like famously labeled cosplay. Like mm -hmm. when I was heavier, I used to model Vixen because um, I kind of am into comics. Um, I don't want to call myself a comic book nerd because then people will start coming at me with all kinds of things. I only know what I know. Like I love Birds of Prey. Uh, followed okay. Gail Simone's writing of Birds of Prey. She's my favorite writer for Birds of Prey. Um, but I used to uh, dress up. We just call it dressing up for, for like, mm -hmm. not Halloween, but my kids dress up every other day. My son will go, I just feel like being Black Panther today and dress up. We, what they call cosplay on a daily basis. Um, so I, I've always loved cosplay. It's another facet of acting. I love getting dressed and becoming somebody else just for okay. a moment. It's when you just can take those moments and, and be somebody else. I take it seriously though. I like to embody a character. Like when I played Black Canary, you know, mm -hmm. I did the poses for Black Canary, you know, which takes some athleticism to do because she'll have her leg up in the air in the comic book. And so when I would go to conventions, I would just stand there and do my leg up in the air pose and pose for pictures. You know, being Wonder Woman, I would study the Wonder Woman poses and be Wonder Woman, which most people thought I was Nubia because there was a Black, uh, Wonder Woman had a sister who was Black, Nubia. So because I'm Black, they just automatically thought Nubia, but I just love cosplaying. It's a, it's a form of escapism. So sometimes when I just, if I'm having a crappy day and I just don't want to be myself, I can cosplay and be somebody else and then take pictures and it makes me feel better. It's almost like kind of a cleansing thing for me. So I enjoy now, who's it. your favorite character to cosplay? Oh man. Uh, that's, I think maybe <laughs> Mohawk Storm was my favorite character. Okay. I did that's, Mohawk that's Storm. Awesome. Um, that was my favorite character. I also um, cosplayed from Bob's Burgers. Oh, who was it? Was it Tina? <laughs> I think it was Tina. Um, <laughs> I like to- The older sister? Yes. I like to yes. cosplay um, all kinds of different, weird things like uh i cosplayed uh chucky at one point in time okay. and did the freckles i like to do my own adaptation and not have to be exactly like uh somebody else but i really just enjoy cosplaying and sometimes i just enjoy dressing up like um kawaii style i have a love for japanese culture which is probably why I have a daughter named Anari and a son named Kiyoshi. Okay. Because <laughs> I've always loved um, Japanese culture and Egyptian culture. It shows in how I've named my children and the, the things that I've done. But I just like to cosplay. I just like to take 
characters. And sometimes I create my own characters. I don't even have names for them, but like I would dress up and find different pieces and put them on and do a photo shoot. And then of course my artists would go, oh my God, that outfit was amazing. Can you send me some pictures so that I could create a character? He was like, you never uh, cease to amaze me with all of these different characters that you create. And like you said, uh, dressing, you know, chameleon. I love to do different hairstyles. You know, I used to do contact lenses all the time. I stopped, um, I don't do it as much, but I like to become different people and show people that you can have variety. You know, I kind of feel like that's how I have such a cool relationship is because, you know, he never knows who I'm going to be. <laughs> never knows what to expect, <laughs> what kind of hair I'm have, what color eyes I might have that day. It's like I'm a different woman every time, <laughs> you know? Well, your creativity is uh, absolutely through the roof. Um, like I said, the stuff I've seen, absolutely amazing. Now, we've talked about all that. Um, we'll throw fitness in there because we've already intertwined that. You've lost a bunch of weight. You have to be athletic to do the things you do. Uh, anybody that's in your social media knows your athleticism. But you also uh, do some music. I do. Um, well, I haven't uh, as of late because our like bands do, our band have broke up. But um, I still mm -hmm. have some music on Reverb Nation. Um, my band was named Negro Kyle, which is just written like Negro Child, but it's pronounced differently. Um, I was trying to pronounce that earlier today, and I was so scared. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let her say it. I'm not even going to touch it. It's Negro Kyle. Um, and I, well, I've always, I've, I love music, um, heavily influenced again. It's to me, how I grew up, I really feel like dictated all of my life of who I am now. I'm growing up mm -hmm. listening to uh, soulful R&B. And then my uncle played a lot of club music. And, you know, then I would hear some rock because I watched Friday night videos. And, you know, okay. it wasn't like a lot of hard rock on there, but that was when mm -hmm. I fell in love with Billy Joel was during Friday night videos, which people, a lot of people don't even remember Friday night videos where they had the guests and then they would play a music video. Then it would come back to the guests, Judy Tenuta and Jerry Seinfeld. That was when I first saw Jerry Seinfeld. Like that's where my history is. Like, <laughs> and, and as you would hear, like all of the stuff that I love, always kind of meets one another somewhere like comedy mm -hmm. you know met uh music and i've always loved singing um i never felt like i would be like a professional singer and it's something that i still want to do because in this day and age you can kind of record your own stuff and put it out there but i feel like my kids have absorbed some of different kids have absorbed uh concentrated parts of me and took it and ran with it like my one daughter mm. i love to dance i i grew up taking dance she's a dancer now and she also records her own music um her name is liberty but she calls herself a uh, silent savage on on instagram oh, that's cool. so check her out if you can um she is super talented and she took what I wanted to do and ran with it. 
Um, so I still want to do music. I told her that I would want to collaborate with her at some point in time. It's just that I've been so busy. I don't have the time to sit and actually record anymore, which is what I would like to go back to doing. I hope that is something that I can do in 2021 because we haven't recorded anything in years, but people haven't heard the stuff, a lot of the stuff that we still have. So I would like to get mm -hmm. some of that stuff remastered and put out there just so that people can hear the stuff that we were doing and we would do live performances. Um, and we sold out a, a Halloween show before to the point where the fire marshals came and had to shut us down because there was too many people shoved into that one place. And that was mm -hmm. amazing. Like it was, that was just one of the most amazing feelings ever because we were doing like kind of grunge, hard rock, a little bit of R&B in there too. It was just like a mixture of everything. We're an amalgam of, of everything. I like to sing a little bit of everything too. With everything you do, um, you remind me <clears throat> of a guy spinning plates, like 20 different plates, but he's not worried about it. Like somehow he's got them all spinning with his left hand and in his right, he's eating an apple. That's just what <laughs> your, that's what your life reminds me of. Um, First off, I want to thank you for coming on the program. Before we end out, I want to ask you two little fun questions to end on. Since you've come into contact with so many different athletes over the years, uh, I'm going to ask you, who is the largest athlete that you have come across? Um, it's a two-part question. One, in actual size, and two, in their presence. And I'm going to ask you to exclude Tommy Dreamer from the second answer. <laughs> okay. Um, the largest athlete um in physical size i would say mark henry oh wow okay that's a big one um and you know he's bigger but he's so strong too mm -hmm. um the man is super strong but he's another one of those people that are like super sweet as well but i would have to offhand because i really can't think of anybody else i would say mark henry first a lot of people don't realize too, his uh, quote unquote gimmick wasn't a gimmick. He actually right. has athletes through him doing that. Like he was yes. an actual world strongest man. He's a monster. He yes. That is not a gimmick. That is real life stuff for him. Uh, that's why yeah. I'm saying Mark Henry. Most there definitely. was a video. Um, I remember at one of his gimmicks during the nineties where uh, there was one thing where he bent a steel rod and another thing where he like folded a frying pan and that was actually real stuff that wasn't like uh worked out, you know, lightweight material. That was real stuff. It's yes. fascinating. Yes. He's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And uh, largest in like uh, presence, I guess. Who? Um, uh, like who's a larger than life character? Uh, athlete, you said? Oh, you know what? Anybody, anybody in the... Uh, entertainment athletic world of, of that uh, well it's and i've met so many people though <laughs> um larger than life uh offhand i would say two people if i may uh ray mm -hmm. mysterio oh wow yeah i mean he's so little but he's He's larger than life. Definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, he was That's at a unexpected. Hyde Park. 
he was at a house of hardcore show it's and of course it's unexpected because he's a little guy but yeah. he's this to me just he has this larger he emits this larger than life energy and i'm like mm -hmm. but he's just this small you know but <laughs> he he emits that the other person that i would say um that to me is very athletic but is a horror actor is Kane Hodder. Okay, uh, the guy who plays um, Jason Voorhees. Yes, Kane Hodder has a larger than life energy, and he's a he's also a person that likes to. We used to laugh at him all the time because we we would um, be at a restaurant like after a convention, and he always likes to bend the forks or like to bend <laughs> the, the. He just he'll just he'll just do that. And or make little designs with the fork, like with a real fork, and just toss it to the side and then leave. Wow, that's he's <laughs> a big guy like, too, from what I understand. What six eight, something like that? Yeah, he's tall. He's really really tall. Um, can you imagine me, little me? I'm saying little because I'm five nine, but me standing there watching my brother Tony have a conversation with Kane, and I'm like. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I, you know, I'm tall for a woman, but I'm not tall as compared to the two of them, for sure. They, uh, yeah. <laughs> they definitely take the cake. I mean, my brother, I mean, I don't consider my brother an athlete. He's definitely a larger than life presence in, in anything. He's just larger mm -hmm. than life, period. Like the most humble guy, but, uh, he's, he's very, um, food cultured. He knows okay. so much about food. He's a, uh, I don't like to call him bougie with food, but like he, he's decadent. <laughs> That's the word for him. He's decadent. Okay. He's a very decadent man when we go places. But, and this is the thing about his decadence. Uh, and I don't mean to get sidetracked, but like we're talking about larger than life people. And then I started thinking about him. He can go to a dive bar and be decadent, or he can go to the fanciest restaurant and be just as decadent. Okay. He will go, he's take, listen, the man has, he has this thing about him. And we did a, he did a theater thing one time and asked me to come. He said, sis, I want you to come. I'll be real quick. Uh, he said, sis, I want you to come see this, this um, theater thing before it, it like gets released to the public and see what you think. And it was a day before Mother's Day. So I go and um, afterwards he said, well, let's go out. Let's break in Mother's Day. He likes to to go out and like feel different vibes. So okay. he has to find a vibe that suits him. So we we started out at a place probably, I think we went to a hookah bar around seven o'clock. We hit place to place to place to place to seven o'clock the in the, the next day. Okay. We were out. <laughs> I don't see how he does it because obviously he's older than me, but I was dead on my feet. Like he can go from place to place, to place, to place and pull the energy out of people and make people happy, make people smile, engage them in conversation, do his little decadent thing. We ended up going to this underground place. You know how you open up those gratings and you go down and they're normally yeah. like stored. Yeah, well, it was a it was a, a secret um, club. That was oh. where we ended off the night. 
somewhere in New York. I don't even know where we were at that point. I was delirious. We went down to this secret underground place where they just bring your own alcohol, music playing, artwork all over the walls. It was like a different world. This man is larger oh, that's, than that's life. That's awesome. He His presence is just felt all around, not just for his towering stature or his voice. He doesn't have to say anything. He just emits this, this great presence and warmth and knowledge. So yeah, I just had to say that real quick because I love my brother. <laughs> No, that's awesome. He's definitely one of the actors. I can say he doesn't have to say anything. If his face is on the screen, he's still in the scene. Um, he just has that presence about him. Absolutely. Well, Monique Dupree, I thank you so much for coming on. But right now, it is promo time. Tell them <laughs> they can find you. Anything you want to put out there to the world, let have it. Well, you can. When in doubt, you can Google Monique Dupree because a lot of people misspell my handle, which is the original Gata. It's T-H-A and then original Gata, G-A-T-A, on uh, almost all of my social media, on my Instagram, my uh, Twitter. I have a TikTok and a Twitch that's Mrs. Tommy Dreamer. That's my handle on there. And on Facebook, it's just uh, Monique Gata Dupree. But when in doubt, okay. just Google my name and you'll see all of that stuff come up. Um, my Wikipedia, all of that stuff, my IMDb, everything is right there. If you just Google Monique Dupree, if you forget any of these things. And I like to engage people in conversation. Uh, so don't be afraid to like DM if you ever need any like fitness advice or whatever. I'm going to be starting up some fitness uh, courses next year because I'm actually certified. I've been certified for like three years, but I I wasn't ready to actually train anybody yet. I mostly want to focus on the health, the eating aspect of things and take on like five clients personally uh, per, okay. per session so that I can do a one-on-one -on -one virtually with these people as opposed to like having people buy a plan and it's like impersonal. I don't want to do that. I want to help people be integral in their, their successes and see if they're a match for, you know, uh, connecting with me to help them with it. I've helped a lot of people. I haven't charged anything, but I've helped a lot of people with uh, their eating habits and stuff. And there's been people that come to me, go, God bless you. I've lost like 40 pounds, 50 pounds. And uh, that's what I like to see. I like to see people come in together to help one another. So I'm always here for that. All right. Um, I love it. Thank you again so much. Guys, as of right now, the Roast War Championship in January 9th is still on at the Parkway Theater in Pittsburgh. Make sure to come check that out where I am the main event against Skywalker. Uh, also, if you get a chance to check out What in the History podcast with me and Dan Brady this week, we went over the origins of Santa Claus and on Shop Talk, we talked about Krampus. Uh, Monique Dupree, I cannot thank you again for coming on. Uh, phenomenal interview, guys. Check her out everywhere. She's got upcoming films. She's got a whole list of projects you can look into. Check her out everywhere, everything. She's the woman doesn't stop. You know, that's what impressed me first and foremost. I was like, okay, she does this. And then it just started adding up. Oh, she does this too. Oh, she does this. Holy shit, she does this. It's just keep going. I love it. You're like Thank the energizer you. battery. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, again, that's it for us at Inquisitive Minds. Make sure to like, sub like, 
subscribe and share. Uh, peace and love, everybody. Bye.